0: Welcome to Nature Centered, a podcast from Wild Birds Unlimited about feeding the birds and enjoying nature right in your own backyard. Here are your hosts, naturalist John Choust and Brian Cunningham.
1: Hey everyone, I'm John Choust, and I'm Brian Cunningham, and welcome to episode nine of the nature centered podcast and today we're going to talk about habitat we've referred to it in the past but now we're going to give you all the details of some of the things you can do to enhance the habitat in your yard and the benefits that you're gonna get from doing it
0: and beyond that one of the really cool parts is you can also as a bonus be certified by the National Wildlife Federation with a whole program they have. So we're going to talk about some of that as well and some of the cool benefits. But so excited about our podcast today. So many cool things we're going to talk about. Right, John? Absolutely, Brian. So stick around for the fun.
1: Okay, well, Brian, it's September. Hard to believe we're already on that. Oh, I know cusp of the end of summer and the beginning of autumn. Unbelievable. We're starting to see some of the early signs of autumn without a question. Um, I had a real cool thing yesterday evening. I oh, what a, was black, that? I had a black throat of blue come through and hit my, uh, just a real quick hit on my suet feeder in my backyard.
0: Oh, one you of know, those migrating warblers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Starting, to,
1: starting to see warblers migrating uh, to the south. And yet at the same time, you talk about being in that cusp of two seasons. At the same time, I've watched in the last week american robin uh, american goldfinch blue jays and northern cardinals still feeding their young from this year so pretty amazing stuff going on in our backyards right now and with autumn being the time of the year that it is it's time to start thinking about habitat this is a perfect time to consider maybe some new plantings you want to do in regards to trees and shrubs and things like that to add to the Habitat in your backyard. And it's really an important thing. You know, we have seen some reports that show some fairly significant uh, declines in our songbird population. And so it's really important that we all consider it. I I always come back to the fact, can you imagine if every backyard or every yard in North America was a certified habitat, had just, you know, wildlife habitat, the difference that would make in our wildlife numbers would be amazing.
0: John, that'd be absolutely tremendous if everyone could have a certified wildlife habitat. Totally agree. But habitat could be anything from something you do on a balcony of an apartment, to the condo, to the house, to a huge lawn or a whole compound that you might have if you have acres upon acres. Habitat is just what's that natural area that birds, wildlife, insects might come and enjoy, even pollinators. Big thing, all those little butterflies and such. It could be very simple, and we'll touch on how do you create a beneficial wildlife habitat to draw in all sorts of things.
1: Absolutely. So bottom line today, Brian, I think what we deserve uh, to give our audience is kind of a little more. We've we've referred to this in a number. This is our ninth podcast. I think on probably almost every single podcast we've touched on habitat. I think now this this time we're going to give a little more detail of some things to think about in your own backyard to really...
0: Enhance that habitat. So, take her away. Yes. So, John, you and I have talked about for number eh, maybe a couple decades each. <laughs> yeah. You know, Armor. Hey, well, more. <laughs> uh, having. How do you create a wildlife habitat in your yard? And there's basically four components. That's been one of those things that's been around for a long time. And each one of us have done lots of presentations on that. I like, we've been partnering with the National Wildlife Federation this year, next year, to be the champions of their certified wildlife habitat program. And they've taken a beyond four, there's a, added a fifth one. And so we'll get to what that fifth one is later. But let's start diving into all of these different components. And really, they really can be very simple in your yard and you can do just a simple little thing, or really go all out with each one of these components and really get to see the benefits of each one happening. So John, let's start with number one. Let me pitch it over to you here, providing food for wild birds.
1: Yeah, obviously there's lots of different ways to provide food, but enhancing the habitat in your backyard is, is uh, <laughs> just an awesome thing to do. I've, I've really kind of, again, my background before coming to work uh, for Wild Birds Unlimited was running nature centers and parks, and, and almost every single nature center I've ever worked at Uh, especially the last park i was at uh, was a city park it was 100 acres it had been a city park for almost 100 years it was your classic manicured neat as a pin no native plantings anywhere type of city park and when we went in there with a lot of support from a lot of different people we did massive habitat uh, changes and, and brought in all kinds of native plants and shrubs and, and wildflowers and, and we planted a prairie uh, demonstration about an acre of prairie. We took a arboretum and turned it into a, a savanna, which is basically a, a, an open woodland with prairie plants underneath. We planted all the plants around the nature center as native plants. The difference, I was there for 11 years and we did that uh, about the fourth year I was there the difference in that time period of the bird life that was in that park, the insect life that was in that park, native plants provide a plethora of foods, berries, insects, nuts, excess seeds, on and on, that just wildlife will absolutely respond to.
0: Yes, I love hearing that story. I grew up going to that park and to see those changes has been phenomenal. I've seen similarly in my yard and that's something that's simple enough to do even in your own, own yard.
1: Yeah, and you know the other thing is the supplemental. When we talk about, of course, we're, you know, we're Wild Birds Unlimited. We help people feed birds in their backyards and, and that supplemental feeding actually does have help, just as I was talking about. I had a black-throated blue warbler in my yard last night hitting on my suet feeder. Uh, you know, it's in migration. It needs fat. It needs fat for energy to keep moving south. And that supplemental feeder was right where it was, you know, right where it was needed uh, when that bird came through my yard. So, supplemental feeding really does provide a boost to a lot of bird life, especially uh, in your yard, whether it's spring, fall, summer, winter.
0: And, John, you're you're talking about you had that special warbler who's migrating through. Yesterday, I had my first of the season red breasted nuthatch. Woohoo! Nice. I'm so excited because I've seen they're starting to come out of the Northern Boreal Forest already this year in August, and they're now starting to hit, at least in the Indiana area, so here they come, by having the right kind of habitat for them, yep. Yeah, supplemental yep. foods and natural foods. Well, our,
1: col- our colleague Andrea, Brian. Mm-hmm. Sent a photo yesterday of a female purple finch. We're, of yes. course, we're in central Indiana, folks. They we're don't nest Indiana. here much. That's pretty. You rare. know, to have a female purple finch this time of year is a pretty special thing. And again, it came to her feeders. Uh, definitely in migration, more than likely. And and you know, the the supplemental feeder is what attracted
0: it. So very cool. That's right. So well beyond foods, because you know, we talk foods all day. In fact, we do quite often on our <laughs> podcast. But number two, what's that second thing? Let's talk water.
1: of a lot that water is the one thing that you can do to attract more birds to your yard. It really is true. It, you, you, you know, example after example of example, you know, whether it's a, a simple little bird bath or hopefully something maybe just a little step up where you've got some pump or fountain or something that's causing that water to move and make a little splash noise, a little glint off the moving water. That type of sound and sight is what really attracts the birds to your backyard. Uh, again, going back to my nature center experiences, uh, my first job was at a nature center in Southern Indiana, and we redesigned the bird feeding area to include this beautiful. It was for the time, it was incredibly elaborate, but it was this this waterfall with a nice pool made out of stone, and it was just really cool. That sounds and, uh, awesome. The first spring we put that sucker in there and had it operating. At one time, we again I fall back to warblers because everybody gets excited about warblers, but we had five different species of warblers in that pool taking baths at the same time it was amazing uh really do attract birds to your yard i i might know my favorite my backyard is i've got a little uh, imitation clay pot that has a little fountain that comes out the top and runs down the uh, uh, the front of the pot into another basin that collects it hummingbirds go crazy on that thing they love to go up there and rub against the 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 pot where the water's cascading down and bathe right then and there so over and over again water absolutely does attract uh birds to your yard
0: Just phenomenal. So what about number three, providing cover?
1: Well, Brian, uh, I think you've done some stuff with this, and and certainly I have too. And I think one of the things that I like about the the cover is that, you know, um, it's not just... Uh, uh a brush pile there's a lot of different things that you can do and people I think uh, uh, default when they talk about cover to like i got to have this ugly brush pile in my backyard or you know whatever it might be you know there's a lot that you can do with plantings native plants of shrubs and, and uh, trees there's other things like leaving uh, uh, dead snags in certain places where the birds can get into. Uh, so, you know, I'm sure you've had a lot of experiences with cover in your own yard that you've enhanced. Oh, I've seen
0: some of it. Definitely, definitely. I leave a lot of those shrubs. One of my favorites is, you know, very safely leaving if a, a branch dies on a tree, as long as it's safe there, I'm going to leave it up and the benefits of what I've seen uh, of birds being able to take cover from that or find food from that uh, but also you know you talk about those brush piles and a lot of people oh I don't know if I want a brush pile I tell you what even just a tiny little brush pile somewhere in your yard provides a great ducking place for birds to pop out of adverse weather that crops up or even that maybe that bird of prey that that flies by the neighborhood and it gives the birds, Absolutely. whether they're on your feeders or on natural foods, gives them a place to duck and and find some cover, be a little safe. Uh, little critters, you know, little rabbits and and such, all will also take cover. And, um, but those plants, having those, like you said, those different shrubs and planting at different heights, some will grow shorter, some will grow taller. And the other thing I really love, people don't talk a lot about it, but rock gardens. Rock gardens that have nooks and crannies will allow different kinds of native insects. Or my favorite, when you get into the different kinds of lizards and frogs and having some water around in there, toads bounce around. You can have all sorts of different things come in, and so cover can be all sorts of different things. But my favorite, though, is using native plants because they're going to provide and thrive as the weather and the seasons change, you get drier seasons, you get wetter seasons. All of our native plants have evolved with the weather and with the insects along with them. And then now that cover is there seasonally versus what hey, one of our store um, owners, managers kind of calls a lot of our non-native plantings, those prima donna kind of plants, because you, <laughs> if they're really used to being wet and you get a dry period, they just droop and bleh. <laughs> And it's not helping the birds and wildlife. So having those natives really help to establish a lot of that cover and then they help establish food as well. So it's kind of a dual purpose.
1: Yeah, I want to highlight that too because I think that's one of the, to me, one of the most fascinating things is how many of the the plants are in total sync with the timing of certain bird returns during migration, Mm -hmm. certain insect hatches, whatever it might be. The more you watch nature and you really look, it is phenomenal. And, of course, this is, this is what happens when, you know, plants and insects and birds coexist over eons of, of you know, thousands of years. Uh, they become in sync with whatever, you know, the. will uh, give you an example. And we've talked about it before, but it's one of the most fun that I can think of, and that's buckeye trees.
0: Mm-hmm. Buckeye
1: trees have this beautiful kind of a spike of flowers, uh, tubular flowers. Hummingbirds and orioles go crazy over those flowers because they're very high. The nectar in those flowers is some of the highest sugar concentration. Uh, example: Red Buckeye is almost 40, was 45 percent or something. Yeah. it's very high. Uh, it's in the uh, definitely in the 40s, uh, and and as a rule, the Buckeyes have that really high sugar concentration. So, man, hummingbirds and orioles are drawn to it, and if you watch you can almost absolutely predict the time you're going to see your first hummingbird or oriole when you see your first buckeye flowers blooming because they're going to show up almost at this exact same time that those buckeyes and they're very early bloomer. you're talking late april early may so uh very very cool
0: yes and this happens in every habitat all across north america with all of these natives and how the birds in those areas follow along in that migration time Phenomenal to watch. So, John, what about number four? Let's talk about space.
1: Yeah, places to raise young. That's another one. You know, a lot of us uh, default when we're talking about places to raise young, and certainly it makes a difference. I've I've got probably close to a half a dozen nesting boxes around my property, and and again, phenomenal use this year. Uh, between the house wrens and the chickadees and the titmice and the bluebirds uh, nesting in my yard uh, and the and Carolina wrens on a nesting shelf, and et cetera, et cetera. I could go on and on. Uh, certainly, that's your default is, is getting nesting boxes and that type for our cavity nesting birds. But, you know, it's really bigger than that. It is it's, it's, it's things like uh, those places to raise you. On. we've already mentioned, again, on, on trees. You know, if you've got a dead snag that you can safely leave somewhere, that would provide a nesting cavity for everything from a bluebird to woodpeckers of a, of a lot of different types. Um, great crested flycatchers, et cetera, et cetera. Definitely leave those snags uh, as long as they're safe. Uh, definitely want to make sure you keep an eye on them. And once they start showing uh, signs of advanced deterioration, you want to get them down because you don't want to get anybody hurt. But yes. leaving those types yes. of things.
0: Yeah, yeah. The downy the downy woodpecker, found all throughout north america it's our one of our smallest woodpeckers the most hardy little buggers these (laughs) little downy woodpeckers will use those snags or that dead branch on a tree because yeah they're going to nest in a in a tree and make their own cavity but throughout the year and especially come winter time they're usually going to use about i think i read about four different little nest cavities for overwintering throughout the winter and if you can then leave some place for them, that's that space, not just to raise young, but it becomes that cover, too.
1: Yeah, great great point, Brian. You know, one of the really cool things here, well, it's not cool, it's sad as can be, but in the Midwest is we've lost a lot of our ash trees. There's an insect import, an invasive called the Emerald Ash Borer, literally that has taken out our ash trees. Well, the good part about it has been... The cavity nesting opportunities, the woodpecker population for many of us has gone through the roof because they've had more insect base because they're eating all these emerald ash borer larvae that are in the tree. And then when the tree dies, it makes it a wonderful place for them to have their nesting cavity. So our number of uh, downy and hairy and red-bellied woodpeckers has gone through the roof compared to what it was probably 10 years ago. As an example, I'm a bird bander, and I've been banding uh, again the last couple of weeks to try to... uh, See how the nesting population's done and get bans on all my migrants before they take off and head south. I've had twenty one downy woodpeckers that I've banded in my backyard in the last two weeks. Twenty-one. And you think you've got three or four coming to your feeders on a regular basis. No, I've got twenty one. And basically seven seven adults and the rest are juveniles this year's young. So that's pretty amazing stuff.
0: That is absolutely phenomenal. And to think when you just start doing as much as you can for a native wildlife habitat in your own yard and what that can produce i don't know that i've ever been able to even guess that i could have that many downy woodpeckers coming because you usually think it's just maybe one family or two families yeah.
1: And real quick for anybody doesn't know what banding is, I just basically catch the birds with a, a net, and a very simple, it's a big, long, what's called a mist net, and it safely catches the birds. And then I put a little numbered metal ring. Uh, I do a lot of data collection on their size. I take a lot of measurements. I look at their body conditions and health conditions, and then uh, put a little numbered metal ring on their leg so that if they're ever caught again, I can repeat the data collection and compare you know, differences in regards to where they were this time last year to where they are now. Or if somebody, if they're a migrant uh, like i've been trying to catch my orioles and my catbirds before they head south you know somebody down in in you know central america may catch my oriole my baltimore oriole and be able to tell me exactly you know uh, where it spent the, the winter so uh, things like that so that's what banding's all about it helps gives us uh, a lot of detail
0: oh yeah and and banding the bird in the hand is a very quick process you don't take a lot of time doing it and so it's, it's harmless to the birds, except maybe a little bit, hey, let me go, I wanna go on with my day. But that's why banders do it very quickly. They are very gentle about it, but really phenomenal that what if someone else catches that same bird and to see that yeah. band and to, and we have learned so much through bird banding over like the last hundred years mm-hmm. with Bird Recapture. So really, really neat kind of concept.
1: Yeah, and just to show you, they, you know, I see those birds right back at my suet feeder on the same day that I caught them. You know, so it's 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 not putting them into too much uh, uh, trauma, if you will, or they wouldn't come back at all. They definitely show right back up at my feeders again.
0: All right, number five. Told you we'd get to number five. Tell you what it is. This is actually one of uh, near and dear to my heart. Sustainable. Practices, so John, tell us a little bit about that.
1: Well, I think the the core of that is you you really want to consider how you manage your yard. Now, I'm probably I'm I'm in a pretty much wooded area, uh, so people in my neighborhood and my uh, area are not terribly concerned with really beautiful manicured lawns. You know, they don't have just this perfect sea of grass with not a single weed, uh, which is good which is good because that means they're not using a lot of herbicides in their yard it means they're probably not using a lot of pesticides in their yard uh, so those are the parts of sustainability that you want to consider how you know if you can avoid using herbicides and pesticides that really is a much more sustainable practice than, than the alternative uh, it, it would be why have lawn in the first place if you can take some of your lawn out of grass and put it into native plants you know, do a little prairie planting or a little wildlife garden or what or a woodland garden, you know, but, you know, that type of thing. Think about what is sustainable and, 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 and does less, I won't say damage, but, you know, causes issues uh, with the environment around your house and with the ability of wildlife to use the habitat around your house.
0: Yes, John, and I live in a completely different part of town, and I'm in the manicured lawn mecca, (laughs) and so my wife and I have a nice agreement that a a portion of our yard continues to become more and more wooded, but that nice out front, the, the visual that everyone sees as they drive by is fairly manicured, but... We have minimized our herbicide, pesticide use. We just don't use the pesticides because we want to allow the native insects to be able to live. And uh, the herbicides, we actually use a natural organic lawn care company that if they do any kind of weed treatment, then it's spot treatment just on things that are going to be something that would take over our lawn. And we're not managing our manicured lawn to be just a monoculture or just grass. We let some of those little things, some clover come in, um, some of those other little things, but nothing that's going to take over. And so it still looks nice. It's nice and lush and it makes my wife happy and it it still gives a nice curb appeal. But now we also have the trees, we have native plantings around some of those tree areas and along the, the house. And so there is a great hand in hand you can do sustainable practices and have a great habitat for birds and wildlife
1: absolutely so hopefully uh we've been able to give everybody a little uh more detail than what we've done in past podcasts in regards to things to think about and do in your backyard and around your entire yard to help wildlife and and brian why don't you tell everybody about if they do that what the national wildlife federation and our partnership with them uh can provide
0: yes so, you go to wbu.com, our Wild Birds Unlimited webpage, and you look up certifying your yard. All you have to do is fill out a form online and you can be certified by the National Wildlife Federation and receive a certificate. And it's simple enough to do, and if you aren't sure about, well, did I do enough to be certified or, or how do I do some of these components? Each step is explained. There's lots of examples. There's a really great native plant finder key that they have on nwf.org, the National Wildlife Federation's site. And then once you get the components pulled together, you can do this on, if you just live in a, a condo or if you live in an apartment, you can set this up as small as a little balcony it's really simple to do to create these different kinds of components to even create a little microcosm habitat to all the way to something to your home or even bigger Uh, businesses do this as well and so go to wbu.com to check all that out learn all the steps get the tips fill out the form online and then Once you get your certificate, you can also, if you want to advertise to everyone in the neighborhood or all the passersby, you can buy different kinds of signs that say this is a certified wildlife habitat, from a simple little sign to a very nice, decorative, ornate sign. And, you know, I often talk to you, John, about a kid's activity on this podcast. Mm -hmm. I think we got a simple (laughs) hand-in-hand scenario here. (laughs) Yeah,
1: there's a lot of work out there for those kids to be doing
0: in there. (laughs) You know, kids love yard work, right?
1: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, again, again, all of us here at, at Wild Birds Unlimited, we're just proud and, and and pleased as we can be to be partnering with the National Wildlife Federation to be the champion of this wildlife certification program. So we're thrilled to death. I think since the partnership started for this, uh, we're over 700 yards that have come through the WBU portal to become certified in, in their own yard. So that's Fantastic. pretty darn cool. It's just a start. We want lots and lots more of those. So please consider having your backyard certified uh, by the National Wildlife Federation. So I think that's it for us. Brian,
0: you got anything else? I think we've covered a lot of things. We've got those five (laughs) practices. People can go have fun with it. Just really enjoy because the benefits are phenomenal of what it's going to do for birds and wildlife in your yard. And if more and more people even just do one thing in their yard, all across our continent, then it's gonna make a huge difference to help save the songbirds.
1: Yeah, and really think about that for a second. It really, really would. All right, folks, on behalf of all of us here at Wild Birds Unlimited, as always, we really do thank you for joining us for our Nature Centered Podcast. And think about joining us next time where we're gonna talk about migration magic. But as always, we'll let nature be our guide. Take care. And be safe.
0: Thank you for joining us, everyone. Look forward to next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Nature Centered. To subscribe to this podcast, for show notes, or to connect with the Wild Birds Unlimited store nearest you, visit wbu.com podcast. Until we meet again, take some time to relax, enjoy the birds, get out in your backyard, and stay nature-centered.